Hey, yo, Nino, what's up, fam? Man, what's the word, big bro? Man, we are blessed. I'm enjoying this this uh, this Chi Town summer ish, right? Uh, 71, you know, the 78 degrees in the last couple of days. I've been out in the streets a little bit. Sunday, I think we both was out in the streets a little bit. We not, I'm not doing too much out in the streets because you know it's still a whole you know panoramic out there. That that's still that's still underway. People acted like you know what I mean we fresh and clear, even though whatever, man. But you know, I was out. Uh, I was out making a way, and you hit me and was like, "Fam, you out making a way too." So we still able to come through and uh, get the recording done. So I'm feeling good, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm enjoying. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it was the first time that I've been out out. And, you know, I looked at my bank and I was like, "Oh, last weekend, you know, we was we was out." You, know you said you, say you looked at your bank account. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I looked at it on Monday and realized, like, okay, this was a good weekend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> hey, the amount of deposits uh, is what typically makes a good weekend for me. It used to be, now, you know what I mean? It used to be the amount of debits. You were like, ooh, you kicked it a little too hard. But now I get a good weekend if it's like, hey, man, we, we made a little something happen this weekend. But I understand. You know. All right, let's get our check in done this week, man. Uh, you know, um, first things first, man, what are you proud of this week? How are you proud of yourself? I'm proud of myself for being vulnerable um, by starting the um, the book cipher, man. You know what I'm saying? Something I had been thinking about a minute. Um, and then finally, I just finally was like, yo, let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, then once I feel like I put it out there to the universe, the big homie, like, hey, let's make it happen. Man, you just had that random conversation and here we are. Um, and, I, and, and I knew what it would, would require of me, but seeing the benefits of such thus far, um, and I'm just, you know, grateful. I'm also proud of the, the brothers who uh, took on, you know, this first cohort and are just jumping in and being vulnerable and just growing. So, man, you listen, uh, as someone that's been a part of the book cipher, that, you know, that is a part of the book cipher, that that is something to be proud of that, that brothers are like, because, you know, we don't often have conversations about book clubs in a lot of our spaces, particularly hyper-masculine or, you know, so-called hyper-masculine spaces. We don't have a lot of conversations about book clubs. And so, and then we, we said, okay, let's do a book cipher together. And the amount of fellas that was like, yo, we bet, we with it. We're going to read the book. We're going to have conversations. We're going to be vulnerable. We're going to set norms. We're going to treat each other as human. Like, it, it is a beautiful thing. Um, but so I, I totally respect uh, and honor you being proud of that. And I'm proud of that as well. Uh, but what am I proud of myself for, man? I'm proud of myself that this past weekend, I left my computer at home, hmm. went to a lake house with my hmm. family and my homies and my, you know, my comrades that I work with. Uh, that, you know, one of my my co-conspirators, his family owns a lake house out in Sister Lakes, Michigan. I left my computer and for like five to maybe even eight hours, I didn't touch my cell phone. Mm. I just was. Like, I was with the homies, eating, barbecuing, you know, looking at the lake. My son got to be in the lake. He got to experience his first lake swimming. Uh, he was diving off into the lake. He he drove a pontoon boat. Like, I was proud that I, I took the time to be like, yo, I'm just going to be with my family, be with my friends. Um, and, and not be thinking about work and not be thinking about what's next and what's coming next week and what we got to prep for, what sessions. 
because all that's going to be there. Um, but I, I really was proud. When I looked at my phone, I had hella notifications, hella calls, but it wasn't nothing serious. It wasn't nobody, nothing burned down in the eight hours I didn't look at my phone. But I was, that's probably the longest I haven't looked at my phone in a long time, fam. A long time. I pretty much only used my phone that day uh, for music and navigation to get there and for navigation to get back to our hotel after we were done kicking mm -hmm. it. That's it. So my phone was just sitting. So I'm proud of that, which gets us to our next question. What are you learning from your healing journey? I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot, right? I'm, I'm learning that um, I have to give myself space, which I've, I've been talking about a lot in these podcast uh, episodes about creating that space. Um, and, and so I'm learning to do that a little bit better. And in new ways, you know, whether that's space in my calendar or space to just be or, you know, saying no to things. Um, but I'm also learning that everything is really waiting on me in some ways. It's waiting on me to finally make the connections. And, you know, it was such a blessing uh, in this past week. I got to spend time. Uh, you know, doing some things that just just brought me joy. You know, you know, last week I talked about uh, that I got an opportunity to have a conversation with Dr. Patina Love, and we did that fireside chat. That was fire. People had a great uh, time. Um, I just remember you ain't even send that to me. Yeah, I didn't mean, I flaked. Going. I flaked. I did. I said it on. I said it on the podcast that I was going to send it to you, and I didn't send the link. My apologies, fam. I hope you can forgive me. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, sh that, uh, she and I will do some collaborating and some work and connecting in the, in the future. Uh, I'm pretty hopeful in that because, uh, she's interested in some of the work that I'm doing. So, um, that was great. But then I also got to reconnect with some former colleagues of mine that I work with in the school. And, you know, I know all of us are feeling it cause we're coming back from the pandemic or, or like the pandemic for some of us, we are. Some of us took the jab and we're vaccinated. And so we're going out in the world and reconnecting with people that we hadn't connected with in 18 months. But it just felt good, man. It just felt good to be with people that you care for and be with people that you like you really, really fuck with um, and just embrace them and have a drink. Uh, and I and I got that experience, uh, you know, after the Bettina Love thing. Then I told you I went to the lake house. And then Sunday we had another uh, kickback with my emergence crew. Uh, my the, my cohort from the Surge Fellowship, we kicked back in my homie Jakari's crib, and it was just good to see people and embrace people and hug people, and just feel that love. And so, I'm learning that you know a lot of these experiences that I'm having, they're waiting for me to embrace them. They're waiting for me to get to a space where where I'm comfortable engaging with them, and a lot of the things that I'm looking forward to or, or that I want to happen is just really waiting for me to continue to heal and continue to to create space for myself uh, to enjoy those. Because I think once upon a time, even before the pandemic or before things got heavy, I was just so in this, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy space that I wasn't taking advantage of those moments to connect to people. Um, mm. And I, I was putting what I thought was the grind ahead of having opportunities to connect with people that I care for and I love. And I need those things. I need though. I need that connection, and I need to to spend time cherishing family and cherishing those that I that I hold dear. And so it's waiting on me. That's what I think. That's what the the way that it's been. Uh, I've been processing it. Like it wasn't that these people didn't care about me before. It wasn't that I couldn't reach out. It wasn't that I couldn't connect. It was really I had to get in a space where I recognized that I need that in order for me to be well. 
What about mm-hmm. you, man? What you learning in healing journey? I'm learning that I have more control than I thought. Okay. And what I mean by that is sometimes I think we can easily feel like internal factors are speeding us up faster than we would like, mm-hmm. slowing us down, right? And the truth is, is that we actually have control of the pace. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm doing a lot better at slowing things down, right? Like in my head, it's like the matrix, right? The first time Neo realized he can dodge bullets, mm. right? And you like, wait, like, oh, I don't have to make a decision right now. I don't have to respond right now. Like I don't have to jump because, you know, other people or other things make it seem like it's a time of the essence type thing. Mm. But I really can sit and, and take my time and figure out what I want to do. Um, and what I'm learning is, when I allow myself the time to do so, I make way better decisions, um, both short and long term. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to make a decision. I'm able to be like, yo, I, I need some more time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. The, 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 the let me get back to you act is golden. The, the, you know, let me, let me consider that and get back to you. When you start, when you start flexing that muscle, because, you know, all these things, even though that's, this is a micro example, is really connected to self-determination and having mm-hmm. the space to feel like you can, you can actually weigh your options and make the choice that's best for you or make the, make the choice that's best for the moment of the context. But, yeah, I'm with that, man. I'm with that. I feel like when you are, in, I think for us, a lot of, as black men, and I would say a lot of people do it, but, you know, our target is who it is. Um, I think the good ones learn how to plan ahead so you don't get stolen, right? Like you see that you see it coming before it comes. <laughs> Stole on, or B, when it hits you, you can roll with it to like reduce the impact, right? Yeah. So what I'm realizing is like in doing so, I've been able to kind of slow down. Um and I'm and I and I realized like how much I was worrying about shit that didn't happen. And actually worrying about that shit is what led me to getting stolen, right? Mm. You know? And so it's, it's crazy how, you know, as I continue to work on shifting my mindset from one of survival to thriving in spite of, it's just like the more and more I grow in that, the more and more I just see the fruits, um, like both short term and long term, just emerging right then and there. I like to refer to it as court vision. You know, when, mm-hmm. you, when you a rookie or, you you know, you young in a sport, uh, I remember First time middle school getting getting that tap to say, hey, you can play JV, right? So I'm an eighth grader with the high schoolers playing ball. You know, I went to a private school. And you just are happy to be out there on the court and you trying not to fuck up. Mm-hmm. So it's straight survival. Mm-hmm. But once you get the comfort of being able to, you know, to make decisions and you feel well acquainted with it and you get to know yourself, then you can figure out like, oh, okay, this is the space is where I thrive and, and stuff slows down. Like you, you see the play happening and you see it about to occur and you know where to place yourself in order to, to, to really make the best response. And I think that's, that's what you're talking about, that, that court vision, things are slowing down and you're able to see things a little bit differently now that you're becoming more, uh, you know, connected with self. I think that brings you to the to the next question that you're gonna get us kicked off on is uh, who are you grateful for? Huh. I'm grateful for an old head that I don't even remember, but there's something that he said to me, and it always stood with me, and I didn't get it to now, right? 
And he was like, life is like a game, right? And he said, you know, prior to like 18, you practice. You practicing for the game. You know what I'm saying? Then he said, your 20s, your 20s is the first half. He said, your 30s is kind of like halftime. Mm-hmm. And 40s, that's the second half. And he said, some people have a good first half, end up with a bad second half. Some people have a bad first half, make adjustments during halftime, and have a great second half. Some people have a great game, and some people have a horrible game. And he was like, ultimately, it's up to you. And I didn't really understand. I didn't understand what he was saying. But more and more, that shit keep playing back in my head because I realized, like, I feel like I've been making great, like, like championship-level adjustments at halftime where I know without a shadow of a doubt that we about to go win this ring in the second half. You know what I'm saying? I'm with you. I'm with you. But I want to keep it funky with you, though. You thought he was talking out the side of his neck when he first said that shit to you. I just looked at him. I didn't, I didn't think he was, but I didn't. I was I was confuzzled. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> confuzzled, confused, and puzzled. Like, I didn't know how to rhyme. So I just kind of shook my head like, okay. And he hit me with the, you don't get it, but you'll get it one day. Just keep living. You know how they hit you. With yeah, that they shit. hit you with that shit. Because, you know, I'm too, I'm too technical. I'm like, wait a minute, fam. The game over when I turn 50. I want the game to just, you know what I'm saying? I want the game to keep rocking. So... I think you know it's limits to it, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Like, are we making the adjustments we need to to really live the life we want to live? And you know that's that's valuable. That's valuable advice. But I, I, I just looking at your face, y'all don't see Nino's face. I'm looking at Nino's face, and he's he's recalling this moment with the puzzle, even when he said it to me. Like, okay, yeah, this man, you thought he was crazy when you said that. He was like, "Fam, what are you smoking?" I won't keep it moving, but I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> which is which which kicks it to me. I'm grateful for flow, fam. Um, so I'm watching the fire when we, and first of all, my, my homie Fausto, I, I'm not going to say he's like a Bear Grylls type. Cause he, you know what I mean? You know, he grew up in the city for the most part, but he, he got some brilliant things in his bag. I saw this man start a fire and I learned so many things about starting a fire. I learned tricks about starting a fire fam. One, one key trick that I'm just going to give away. I'm going to give away this game and it's going to blow people's minds. Chips. You want to get a fire started? You want to get that get that kindling going in that in that bonfire before y'all smoke cigars and sit under y'all you know there are summertime blankets and whatnot in the evening. Go get that bag of chips, cause guess what every chip has on it? Accelerant, <laughs> oil. Man, we got this fire so busting with some Doritos. <laughs> Good as fuck. <laughs> that fire was cracking. I'm sitting here like, wait a minute, we eat this, and this shit is flammable. <laughs> Super yeah. flammable. So, uh, yeah. So, so I'm watching this fire, man. Um, and I'm watching because uh, he was he was teaching my son to set a fire. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm gonna teach you how to do it. And he's like, don't get it twisted. He wasn't just teaching my son. He was teaching all of us because we were like, man, the way you, it was the best fire we I'd had at a, a fire pit. And he was like, it's, he said, it's really about you, you can't make things too congested because you got to leave air for flow. Mm. And, you know, you and I, we've talked about water. Then we talked about water last episode or the episode before. And I had always had this disposition in this part of my life. Like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing up there, but I'm with it. Whatever you're doing, fuck it. I, you know, I'm going to go with the flow, right? Because I've seen that when opportunities flow to me, they're just more fruitful for me 
And when I'm going trying to make things happen and shake things up, they fall flat for me. They don't they don't really it's not that I'm like totally unsuccessful with them. They just don't have the vibration and the fruitfulness that the things that flow to me end up having. Because it's because undoubtedly the things that flow to me, they create new moments for me and new opportunities for me. I can, you know, we could do a whole episode on how this person knew this person and saw me do this and told this other person, you know, all these things that flow to me. And I had only engaged with that construct of flow through the embodiment of water. Mm. And what I'm realizing is in this moment of my life, you know, when I when I have to really burn bright in new ways, I have to engage that concept of flow through fire as well. And when he said you can't you can't be too cramped, you can't let the firewood be too cramped. You got to give it space so the air can flow, so the fire can stay. Man, I'm sitting here, I'm having a sermon at the fire, and nobody knows, and I'm the only one thinking about this shit. And I'm sitting here like, oh schedule doing too much not making space for me to be not making space for me to breathe for the fire to breathe mm. right overthinking shit right so man i am grateful for the flow that that's who i'm grateful for you may believe that that flow is inspired you know by just interconnectedness you may believe it's vibrations and universal laws i believe that flow is birthed from a divine god and you know what I mean? And I call upon her whenever I can to to inspire me and support me. But that's what I'm really grateful for. Um, and I guess it's on me again. What am I reading? Uh, finish Bettina Love's book. I'm, I'm going to keep it funky with you because I'm using that book to do something. I'm going to be reading that book on and off for the next eight months, right? Because <laughs> let's just keep it real. <laughs> but uh, we definitely are still and we, we real cool. Uh, Black Masculinity, the book by Bell Hooks, that was still cracking, uh, and and you know I got like a chapter or two to catch up on with the with the uh, book cipher, uh, and then I'll be right because I think next week is book is chapter eight, uh, so I got to catch up on that and get where I need to be. But that's what I've been reading, man. I've been reading that and just prepping for all the things that are going on uh, in the here and now with the work that we got on. What you been reading, man? The thing I've been reading is the Bell Hooks book. I realize I've been slacking in this season, but it's okay because you know I, I be reading, and, and lately I just haven't been having the discipline or the desire to really read like that. And, and I think it has to do with, like you said, the flow, right? Um, and you know, being the being in the season that I'm in, and understanding like what work looks like in this season is different from other seasons, but they all you know serving their purpose. Um, what I will say, though, is I'm about to start um, prepping and pick out the book for the next book cipher. Mm. It's called Cry Like a Man, Fighting for Freedom from Emotional Incarceration. It's by uh, Jason Wilson. And for those who don't know, Jason Wilson is the brother, that's the black brother who got like the dojo in like Detroit. Yeah. He, yeah, I had read this book, um, I think it was like at the end of last year. Mm. It's fire. It's fire. So, um, you know what I'm saying? Between yesterday's cipher you know, that was just like confirmation, like, yo, this is the next book. That's and so that's, that's, you know, that's the direction we're going to go in. Um, so that's that, you know what I'm saying? In terms of what am I listening to? I mean, y'all know me. I'm um, I'm still listening to um, the Grand Orator for the Light Skin Delegation. But I'm also listening to, um, I, for some reason, I decided to go back and listen to uh, D Smoke. You know, I think it's because they came out with a, a deluxe version of Black Habits. So I went back and kind of checked that out a little bit. But, you know. 
just just been grooving with it. No no one song this week coming from me. Um, but what what you listen to, Dick, bro? Hey, listen, man. I'm not letting you pull up D Smoke without playing the jam that speaks to me every time I play this app. First of all, Black Habits is an amazing album by D Smoke. Let me just make that be clear. I'm going to be all the way clear with that. Uh, you know, I have a special place in my heart for the songs and, and the music that helps me get through different times. And I was listening to a lot of D Smoke uh, right before the pandemic started, um, you know, kind of prepping myself uh, for being out in these streets with, with business and whatnot. I know that the, the I want to say the re-release uh, version, I think it was started actually once it came out in the deluxe came out in the end of 2020 or February, February, 2020, uh, February. Yep. Right. And so I was, um, you know, I started like really listening to that really heavy in preparation for that year and for what I thought was going to be, you know, me really being in the grind out in the street to get my business started. Cause I didn't know the pandemic was coming a month later and like everything was changing. But I remember being on the train, listening to, to black habits over and over and over going to see clients, going to check in, uh, you know, and, and going to really start the, the, the basis and, and, the, and the, the ground floor of what became my work last year. So I want to play one song that, that I really love, uh, or at least a piece of one song that I really love from this black habits album, uh, since you brought it up, and it's called Top of the Morning. Mm, that's my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get it fucked up. It's love in here. Top of the morning, looking up. Grateful for another year. Don't get this shit twisted, nigga, we with the business But everything we do for our family and the kids So don't, don't get, get it fucked up, up. It's love in here uh. Love is patient and passionate pursuit Say hello to the newest ambassador for truth Nobody could do this all alone So as I grow, I hope to secure another recruit Danny Glover with the weapon, I'm lethal as ever Blessed with natural ability, peaceful and clever On the easel, I scribble sketches, put enemies over stretches With the only weapon known to put trees in the desert He's in a better space than he was less than a year ago Reclining in the midst of violent opposition I find it intriguing that people project what they fear in, yo Responsibility to self says prioritize your health And let go of any fuck shit, that's spiritual But a musket is a must for these haters and trust I ain't too elevated to go irate and leave them degraded Laying face down over the pavement, don't get it fucked up Top of the morning, looking up, and I'm grateful for another year. Hey man, D Smoke killed that shit, fam. I was, yeah, I love that. That's my, that's that's a, a song I used to wake up to at times. That was that song, like you know when you about to jump on the train and get it moving, <laughs> and that song to get you like, ah, it's time to go. <laughs> that's my, that was my time to go song for a while. Uh, but you asked what I'm listening to, man. Uh, I got mm-hmm. two songs that I've been listening to quite a bit. Uh, you know, one of the songs um, comes from uh, artists that I'm, I have a relationship with that I've actually produced for. So Verbal Quest put a project out uh, last year, and I got to see recently what's coming out. I got to see, like, the short little movie they did uh, for this project, you know, basically all the videos from this project placed together. And I can't wait for folks to see this particular video. I think we're going to end up having a conversation about 
a lot of the constructs and a lot of the things that's discussed in this song when that video comes out. But I can't wait for it to come out so we can we can really talk. But this next song that uh, I want to play is by Verbal Quest, and it's called uh, BCSC, which stands for Broken Crayon Still Color. still color it's still got another verse and actually it has arguably one of the craziest verses i've ever heard from quest so when y'all check that out that, that, that third verse is nuts um so yeah verbal quest is the name of that group the name of that song is uh bcsc which stands for broken crayon still color and then i got one more song so i figured like two episodes ago you went nuts though and you had like four songs so i'm gonna have two i'm gonna have two songs today and you know i you know i don't care harrison uh, it's not a competition we know you're the music guru Hey, listen, I didn't, I didn't think it was competition. I just, you know what I mean? I, I don't want to take up too much space, but I did want to talk about the things that I'm vibing to, man. So the other song that I'm vibing to is uh, by an artist named Andy Minio and another artist named No Big Deal. Uh, and it's on Andy Minio's project, Happy Thoughts. Uh, and it's called Willie. And so I want y'all to check this out. God made me fresh. God made me fresh. 
It's an everyday struggle, yeah. no joke, I said peace to the industry, I do it alone I'm a beast, you a switch a sweet You don't want the smoke, you a tweet I'm reality, Paris in the cold I know arrogance can feel like heroin inside a dome It's imperative to get embarrassed when you hit a low And the heritage that I inherited is all I know I'm not American, my mama's surrogate If you got ears, you can hear Then when he appear again, I'm gone Get jiggy with it, get it jumping like I knew Miss Piggy with it. Make the family proud like a half penny in it. Bulletproof vest on the chest like Fitty with it. Oh yeah, you tryna flex on me, don't be silly. Wow, wow, West, yes, I'm Big Willie. Dressed like I came here fresh from West Philly. Who gon' protect your neck, inspect the deck? God made me do it, God made me fresh. When they tell me no, I hit maybe yes. Thought I'm playing checkers, man, I'm playing chess. My baby said, let's have a baby. I said, baby steps, look. Big Billy, Big Dilly, uh, the Fresh Prince like I'm in Philly, uh, said they shooters, but they... Yeah, that's Willie by Andy Mineo and No Big Deal. Uh, so that's what I've been vibing to, man. I've been listening to uh, Andy Mineo's project with me and my sons, and that's the joint I love most off of, and I've been listening to uh, Love Quest by Verbal Quest, their project from last year, and Broken Crayons is, is what I've been messing with, man. So that's what I've been listening to. And I think, man, I think that's the end of our check-in questions, man. What's crazy is, man, like, I fucks with Minio, right? Yeah. Like, I, I went to see him and uh, Lecrae in concert. Yeah. And he was opening for Lecrae because, you know, people know Lecrae or whatever. Yeah. And he low-key killed it better than Lecrae, G. Every time. Yeah. Listen, listen, let's just be clear. There's not even a comparison to me. Not even close. Like, I feel I feel like Lecrae got, like, like, he got some tears and some levels to grow before I would even be as entertained in a show or in a, even with an album as Andy. And so and Andy's ability to like be reflective, you know, a lot of the stuff that you and I talk about on this podcast is a, is, is centered in that reflection of like, you know, who am I? What do I need? You know, what, what, what where am I at in the world? Andy discusses those things. Oh, he has those discussions quite a bit uh, in his music, particularly in this project, Happy Thoughts. Um, and every one of these songs is really focused on, in my opinion, a different, uh, you know, concept of self. Like, you know, what, you know, what about me am I seeing in myself, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Uh, he has one song called Always in a Rush that he did with King Mez that just talks about like our tendency to always be trying to do something. You know, man, I was debating whether to do that one. Uh, because I was talking about flow or whether to save that one. I'm actually going to save it because I think it's one that we really need to like look at. I'm going to steal it since you've been talking about whenever, you know, oh, four weeks ago you had about 17. I, I mean, then steal it. Steal it and come next week with it and do your thing. Be song for me. <laughs> What'd you say? That it's going to be next week's song for me. Hey, let's do it, man. <laughs> but he got the song where it's really about like, yo, we do so much of, of like downing ourselves when we mm-hmm. want to rest or when we want to just, you know, go be. You, you know what I mean? And he talks about that that construct of like, you know, you want to be excellent, but, you know, does it does excellence mean it comes at the cost of being unhealthy and not providing yourself space to breathe? So, yeah, man, I, I mess with Andy Minio. I fuck with him hard. Uh, I uh, took my son to a concert. My son's first, one of his first major concerts was an Andy Minio concert, my 15-year-old. And he was mm-hmm. he was delighted. Um, but... We got through our check-in questions, uh, and you know, as usual, anyone that's listening, check on your folks, man. Call somebody, ask them these questions. What are you proud of this week? What are you learning from your healing journey? Uh, what are you grateful for? Or who are you grateful for? What are you reading and what are you listening to? Just to check in and see where the conversation goes and see how you all can begin to connect and, and support each other um, and, and love on each other. And with, with that being said, 
this week's episode is really, you know, going to really look at a space, a connection, man, and really talk about what's been happening in this in this book cipher. I know we're gearing up for another book cipher and say, what, in a month or two months? We got a couple months before the next book cipher, right? Mm-hmm. But this experience with this book cipher has been transformative, man. A group of brothers in, 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 in this space or in a Zoom space who are on the four corners of the map, like, um, I think we got we got folks that's in Texas and, and uh, Atlanta and uh, that's in um, Seattle and Chicago and we're all having a conversation about this book we're reading together uh, and you know you hit me today and we were just talking because I didn't get to be at the book site for the last book site I was at a client dinner um, and you were just talking about how transformative the space was and I know there's some things in the book that we want to bring to this space to start really talking about uh, that focus on healing because this chapter was big on what is it going to take for black men to heal, particularly uh, chapter six, I believe, was really talking about the anger that we deal with, right? And then chapter seven talks about the abandonment that we sometimes feel uh, as it relates to relationships with our with our father. So what, what was what was the, the, the thing that hit you yesterday that was like, fam, we got to talk about this on a podcast? I think it was when I was reading the chapter, prepping for yesterday, and Bell Hooks was hitting with the, the fire, right? Like she was she was on some Dawson yoga flame, right? Just throwing them. <laughs> Bam, man, G. She throwing yoga flame high, low, on an angle, in the mid, you know what I'm saying? Like she throwing them behind her back like she was on it, G. And and it was just like, and then when we had the uh the cipher yesterday. You know, you, you've been in the ciphers. You know what it's like, G. When I say there was so much awkward silence. Yeah. Because you could tell it it was hidden in places that either A, some of us didn't want to go. Some of us had never been. Um, and it was just like, and we, we sat in it together. You know, a, a group of black men sitting in it together. And then, you know, when someone was ready to share, they shared. And if they weren't, you know, we didn't force anybody. Um but it was this one quote, man, that really stood out to me, right? Mm-hmm. Soul murder is the psychological term that best describes the crushing of the male spirit in boyhood. And, and, and it made me think about how, how as black males, you know what I'm saying? Then there was another quote, I'm, I'm going to put it with it because they go hand in hand. She said... Um, most black males are bombarded in early childhood with the message that they are inhabiting an all-powerful universe that not only does not want them to succeed, but wants to ensure their demise. Yeah. And so, you know, I talk about this. I think I mentioned earlier in my check-in, right? Like, it makes sense that many of us have a survival mindset because you're taught from a young age that the intersection of your race with your body, you know what I'm saying, with your, your, um, your sex Right, like this world ain't for you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's not only do it not, does it not want you to succeed. Like it's not just structured to make you fail. It's structured to take you out at any point in time. And it's aggressively after you. Like you're you're conditioned. We're conditioned to believe that certain constructs for certain other people that just aren't are not just normative, but they are just a part of maturation. We're conditioned mm-hmm. to believe that those are are goals or not goals because because they are goals. It's a goal for even white kids. It's, it's a goal to graduate from high school possibly and go to college possibly. Like those are goals they may have, but we're conditioned to believe they are like trophies that we have to steal. 
right? It comes back to that construct that we've talked about in the past, like this this space of fugitivity, of feeling as if like I don't belong. I'm my my existence is criminality, and so peace I have to steal. <laughs> access I have to steal like I have to steal it away or I have to I have to champion I have to be such so good at whatever I I do that 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 I win my humanity back or I win my ability to to live back um and it it is wild because you know it's interesting that you even talk about that right I know this may not feel connected but I'm outside I'm at this lake house and first of all the homies family his family and like four or five other families got the bread together and they they built these lake built this like commune of lake houses in this one plot of land total mm-hmm. total community economics right mm-hmm. and, and and for 20 something years they've used this space to just rest and engage and spend family time and 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 to kick it with one another and so I'm sitting here looking at this beautiful water watching people enjoy themselves, watching my son have fun, and it clicked. Like, oh, this is peace. This is rest. <clears throat> like, my son was in the water experiencing, like, I know you hate black boy joy as a term, right? But he was he was joyful. Like, he was resisting at first. And what's so odd is his resistance, because, you know, this is my son's, you know, you know me, mm-hmm. so you know my son's sense of humor has to be a little off, right? We're driving, mm-hmm. you know, we're driving down this long ass road, which feels like in the middle of nowhere. And his his, his remark is, "This looks like the road somebody gets killed on, <laughs> right? Like in every <laughs> movie, in every movie, this is the road you shouldn't be. Like, where are we going, right?" And then I remember, like, the, like the folks were like, "Yo, do you want to get in the water? Do you want to get in the lake? Do you want to do this?" And he looking at them like, "Fam, I am not about to go out there and die." He's a ten year old, and he's like, "I'm not about to go out there and die." That's real. And then when he saw others engaging and being in the water, and they were adults, but they were the homies, he saw them, he started to feel the space of safety. He just began to explore and engage. And he would start a little bit close to the water, and he'd go deeper, and he'd go deeper. And I'm sitting up watching him from above, right, because it's like this 60-foot hill that you go down to get to the lake. And I'm, I'm sitting him up from the patio above, and I was like, yo, he has a childhood. Mm. Did that come from a place of not just proud, like pride and that you were able to give him that, but also from a place of like, I wish I had that? Absolute envy. Mm-hmm. Like not full envy. I don't want to sound like I'm envious of my son. That sounds crazy, but. It and, don't. Yeah, I think that's real because I'm look- we hear all Go ahead. your parents be like, I want you to be better than me. Mm-hmm. But most parents can't handle it when you exceed them, you know what I'm saying? Because it triggers something in them, whether it's an insecurity or, you know, well, uh, insecurity, but whether it's insecurity of I didn't get there or I should have been there, but I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think I feel to say that, and we know it's not from a place of like malice, it's just a real emotion, right? Yeah, and it is a real emotion. And of course it's not malice. I, I love, he's my, my boys in my world. Like that goes unspoken, right? But I told my wife, I was like, yo, my sons are going to have a markedly different view of their childhood than I did. Mm. And, and, and their understanding of access and their understanding of, you know, just, just their bodies and how they can self-determine 
it's going to be much different than, than the constructs that I was raised with. Now, they'll still deal with the same context in some way. They'll still be black men in America, right? Mm-hmm. But when my boys look back at their, their childhoods, they have different conversations to have than I had. They have things that I never had. And so to, to read Bell Hooks talk about that soul murder mm-hmm. and, and talk about the fact that, like, when did that begin – and, and that's why I'm so protective of them too. Not protective, like I ain't putting them in a bubble. I, I tell them what's happening in the world. We have conversations about shit, but I, I there is nothing about me that that I want them to find out from someone else. I want them to be intimately engaged with me in such a way that they know their father. Like that they, you know, if something ever was to happen and I go to the land of the ancestors, I was able to make an impact. It, it wasn't like a, you know, there's so many brothers, unfortunately, who are like, yo, my dad never got a chance to tell me he loved me. Or, you know, my dad never got a chance to do this. Or we never talked about X, Y, and Z. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I make it one of my, like, missions to make sure that I'm, I'm deeply engaged in that way. Um, and I'm even learning balancing that, too, right? You know, it's not necessarily the content I learn balancing, but but trying to untether untether my dream of being a good father from my lack of father. And, and, mm-hmm. and to tether it more to just the possibility of what that could mean for me and for my children. I want to be a good father because I think that's be dope for me. And I think it would be dope for them rather than I want to be a good father because I didn't have a good father. Right. And so I'm making that transition now. But, you know, I, I realized at that moment, like, oh, OK, they get to have a different story than I had. And so. That's a sensitive spot for me when, when she's talking about that soul murder. And I don't and I'm not suggesting that anyone in my past did that to me. That they they, they made the attempt, they're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill the the innocence or kill the opportunity to be a child. I think a lot of times conditions and context create spaces where we have to mature in ways that disallow us to experience what it means to be seen as a child by the world around us and to embrace our childhood as well. So yeah, I I, I can connect with that. But I've been mean, so I, I, it's crazy because I had a similar moment this weekend. Um, me, um, my quote unquote sister, and my niece and nephew, you know what I'm saying? Um, well, let me remove the quote unquote because me and her are extremely close, probably closer than, she's probably as close to, I'm close as her as I am to my real sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, when I, and you know, let them know I was moving to Seattle, she was kind of like, man, I always wanted to just, you know, live in the Caribbean. And so her and uh, my niece and nephew, they decided they moved to Costa Rica. So at the oh. same time, they moved into Costa Rica. And so, you know, we just been trying to spend as much time together as a family as possible. So uh, we went to this place called uh, Sun's Island. It's not really an island, but it was a nice little spot. It kind of, I ain't gonna lie to you though, when we got there, it's right outside of San Antonio. When we got there, it had a lot of um, Anaconda vibes, right? Just mm-hmm. to set it's Like there was a lot of... Um, not gazebos. I'm forgetting what the thing is called. Um, but anyway, everybody chilling. We grilling. We sitting under this little tent or whatever, listening to music. And my nephew pulls out a, a tube. <laughs> and he hops to the tube. And he just like, for lack of better words, wee! And in the motherfucking tube, right? Like in the water by himself. And, and, it, and it stood out to me because I remember I, t- I, I kind of put it on my Instagram story. And I put protect black boys' innocence, right? And and I, and I meant that. But then what was fucked up is when I put it, I was like, man, I hope I don't get anybody 
who feels the need to be like protect black girls, right? Or yeah. protect them, protect that because it's like I'm not saying don't protect them because you know I advocate for both, but you know there have been many a times when I'm with this boy, you know, there, no difference than my little brother who's 16, where they're still innocent, mm-hmm. and I want to protect that innocence as long as possible because I know mine was stripped from me at five years old, right? Um, but then it's also interesting because there are some times when they may do something. And I subconsciously respond the way people responded to me. And then I got to catch myself and go back, apologize because, you know what I'm saying? And that's what I love about the book, you know, this particular chapter when Bell was talking about how, like, you know, it's not just the fathers who are doing this shit. It's also the women who are doing this shit, right? Yeah. You know, and she gave an example of, you know, the mother who wants to prove to the world that she won't raise a sissy. So she's harder on him than others. Or, you know, the mother who, you know, still kind of is struggling with her own abandonment issues. So she forces him to be, you know, the man of the house or her little man or or take out the frustration with the father of him and all those different things. And so what I love about it is it points out how, like, a lot of us um, are not only complicit, but we actually perpetuate the murdering of black male souls. You know what I'm saying? Um, and... and and it's just, it's crazy because it, it, in my mind, I realized this is another generational curse, right? That goes back to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not only slavery, but just the core of America and this whole like system of domination and power, right? Yeah. And even, even the way we tend to embrace maturity with black male, with black boys, you know, mm-hmm. you may, maybe you experienced this, but I know I experienced this. I got benefits and privilege from a lot of the black males in my life and a lot of the the black parents in my life because I had an understanding of what I wanted to pursue. Because I would be like, yo, I want to be a lawyer. And they'd be like, well, how are your grades? And I was like, I got straight A's. They're like, oh, you, you serious, right? But then my mm-hmm. homies that were trying to explore things and they were trying to be creative and didn't really know where they were going, they would, they would treat them like they weren't serious about their future. Mm-hmm. Because we connected futures and and whether or not you are you are serious or whether you are credible whatever the language you want to use for it we connected it to uh career that you know you aren't you aren't valuable as a a black boy unless you have an understanding of how you will acquire wealth and acquire finance and then you know we see that resonate in how many black boys begin to express right it's all about man when i will grow up i'm gonna have this i'm gonna have that and some of that is based in the trauma of of lack or based in the trauma of you know not having what you need at times in your life but some of it is those projections like we're projecting on boys that like you need to you need to figure it's 50 year olds that are that are starting new careers right it's 40 year olds that are starting over and recognizing that the direction they were going they want to do something different but we'll look at a black boy that's 12 and we, we mean you've talked about this. The first thing we want to ask a little boy is what you going to do when you grow up. Right. Or we ask something about their about their assumed sexuality or their assumed uh, gender. And we say, you got your little girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That Joji, that's not really the first question. Right. Mm-hmm. The first question is, how old are you? Right. Yeah. A follow up question usually is, oh, you ain't no boy. You a grown man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like we we immediately contribute to completely removing their adolescence, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm, I'm nine years old. That's a man right there. Like, no, that's a boy. Yeah, and we and we do it 
and we do it so so we're doing it and with not without necessarily necessarily having malicious intention but the world is doing it and dehumanizing those same boys at the same time and we know that because when shit go down you you got you got you're suspending kindergartners and expelling kindergartners right we're arresting second graders and fourth graders Right? We, we like, like think of all the times where they've eliminated the childhood of, of black boys. And then when white boys and white kids in general, you know, do silly shit, then they're calling upon us to, to somehow have empathy for their boyhood and for their childhood. He's just a kid. He's just a, he's, he was a, you know, a way really influenced kid, whatever language they want to use for. And so, yeah, I'm with you, fam. I, uh, it's an article that, I tend to use in trainings that talks about that dehumanization and how uh, for black boys and for black girls, they're not credited childhood mm-hmm. in the eyes of society. And then so when we do the same things as the people that love them and care for them, well, we are also, you know, saying, hey, you got to, you know, you got to grow up. You got to be the man of the house. Telling a six year old he got to be the man of the house. man. Think of how often we've endured that or we believe that. Like, I really believed when I was a kid because my pop wasn't there. I was the man of the house and I and I lived that. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s and my 40s that I was like, damn, when was I a kid? And I and, and, and I realized I was a kid in fugitivity. I would spend the night at my homeboy's cribs to get away from the responsibility of being the man of the house so that I could access some form of childhood. And, and so that's crazy because, you know, another quote that she said, she said, until, and by she, y'all, I'm talking about Bell Hooks again. She said, until wounded black males are able to confront the emotional abuse in their childhood, they will not know emotional well-being. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Hill Black Man Hill podcast. Join us next week as we continue this conversation in part two. Peace, fam.